I was, um, I was reminded again yesterday that the duty um, and the, the, the privilege of preaching is not simply a rhetorical exercise. It is not a speech. It is not something that um, requires uh, elegancy or cuteness. Uh, however, what it does require is faithfulness to God's word. It requires the spirit to do a special work in revealing to us the truth in God's word. And, and in that, we see the majesty of God. We see the majesty of God open in the, in the words uh, through his son, and in that, he is glorified. So this morning, as we go to the word, that is our aim. We want to see Christ through these pages of scripture. We want to understand and be changed. In many ways, uh, today's sermon was the one sermon I was least looking forward to. Um, we've talked about it before. When Pastor Richard and I uh, decided to preach the Psalms, we divided it up. Uh, odds and evens, um, I lost, I guess, uh, because when uh, I got odds, uh, it, it was helpful, right? So, so we can prepare ahead of time. I know what my next sermon's going to be. I can, I can prepare uh, how I'm going to preach it. Uh, however, uh, today I come to Psalm 23. Um, and when you come to a psalm or a passage like Psalm 23, it presents certain challenges. Everybody knows this text so well, right? I am convinced there is no more recognizable passage in all of Scripture than Psalm 23. At the very least, it's top five, right? So, so think about it. It is everywhere. People who do not even attend church have nothing to do with Christianity, never read their Bible. They know Psalm 23. Uh, major composers in the past, like Bach, have used this as inspiration for their music. Modern musicians who have nothing to do with Christ are antithetical to Christ have imported this. We see this in Kanye West and Megadeth. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, a psalm that permeates everywhere. Uh, even heathens know this passage. We see it in TV. There was an episode of Lost like a decade ago that was called the 23rd Psalm. We see this in the movie Titanic. They're using this as like the climactic scene that you, you, hear, them, you hear them reciting these well-known verses. It is a well-known, widely-read text by Christians and by non-Christians everywhere, which uh, brings its challenges, right? Because familiarity kind of, kind of maybe almost dulls us to the truths that are found here. Furthermore, attend almost any funeral in our culture, right? And what is the one thing you can count on? What is the one thing you know you will hear there? Psalm 23, right? You, you hear that at every, at every funeral, and for good reason. It is, a, it is a powerful and comforting passage. Um, some time ago, we attended a funeral, and, and it was a, a nice funeral for an elderly uh, loved one who had recently passed away, and, and during the service, you know, it was kind of very traditional. We sang Amazing Grace and um, a few eulogies. Uh, some nice things were, were said about the person, and... Um, Someone got up to say a few words, and they were asked to read scripture. They read Psalm 23, of course, right? Um, after the service, one of the friends of ours came up to us, and um, this friend is not a Christian, um, really has nothing to do with church or Christianity, um, uh, the Lord in general. And 
Um, she remarked how beautiful the funeral was. She was right. Um, and in particular, she said how beautiful it was, the passage of scripture that was read. It was very comforting and familiar to her. Because of this in our culture, Psalm 23 has almost become synonymous with death. Right? We see it read at every funeral. It has been a part of what we see sometimes as synonymous with death. But this morning, I hope to show from God's word that it is so much more than that. This passage is not a passage of death and despair, but it is rather a passage of life. In particular, it is a passage of a life cared for by the Lord. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. May God bless the reading of his holy, inspired, inerrant, and sufficient word. This morning, this passage is a beautiful, comforting passage. In it, we hear about the love of God. We hear about the power of God. What he willingly, lovingly, and mercifully does for his People. It is a well-known passage because it is a powerful passage. If you remember, in September, Pastor Richard preached on Psalm 22, and, and in this psalm, there was a vivid description of how the shepherd laid down his life for the sheep. In Psalm 23, it describes how the Lord lives to care for his flock. So, first, in verses 1 through 4, David describes how God shepherds his people. He describes how God shepherds his people. All right, David sets the tone immediately with a bold, um, assertive exclamation. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. All right, so, so let us dwell right there for a minute and think about the meaning of the word shepherd. It, it's, it's somewhat familiar imagery for us in the Bible, right? We see shepherd used throughout the scriptures. Um, we hear about it in places in the Old Testament, places in the New Testament, um, Peter and Paul use this language to describe the job of an elder, uh, a pastor of a church. They are called the under-shepherds of Christ. They are to care for the church like a shepherd would care for a flock of sheep. There, there is a closeness to this. There, there is an intimacy to the word shepherd. Uh, Martin Luther said it best. He said, quote, The other names of God sound somewhat too glorious and majestically, and bring, as it were, in awe and fear with them when we hear them uttered. This is the case when the scriptures call God our Lord, our King, or our Creator. This, however, is not the case with the sweet word shepherd. It brings to the godly, when they read it or hear it, a confidence, a consolation, or a security like the word Father. 
The fact that David here refers to God as a shepherd shows one aspect, right? One aspect of our relationship with God. He cares for his people. He nourishes and nurtures his people. He guides his people. He protects his people from danger. He loves them. He is a shepherd to his people. So David then goes on to unpack what it means to have God as his shepherd. He shall not want. All right, he shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Yesterday, Allison and I had breakfast. I said, what do you think it means when David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want? And uh, she said that we shouldn't want things or covet things that aren't ours, or we should be content with what we have, and, and all that is right and true, and amen. Uh, that is biblical, but that's not quite what he's getting at here, right? It is, it is more the idea is, because the Lord is my shepherd, I will lack nothing that I need. The Lord will provide all that I need. I, I neither now nor any time in the future will be deprived of what I need for life and godliness. The Lord is sovereign, and he provides what his people need. The Lord is my shepherd, so because of this, I can rest in his promises that he will take care of me in the ways that he knows best. I shall not want. All right, so how does he do this then? So he goes on in the next few verses to explain how it is the Lord provides what he needs. How does the Lord do this? He said, he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. All right, so, so both of these things, green pastures and still waters, refer to, to rest and peace. God leads his people to place where they are well nourished, where they can, they can lie down and rest without fear of being attacked. He leads them to a place where they can drink cool water from a, from, from a, a, a still stream. The imagery here is, is helpful in any context, right? But think for a minute about the first hearers of this message. He's comparing God as, as a shepherd to the sheep. The sheep go where there are green pastures and still waters. And he's saying this in a dry and arid climate. He is saying this in a place that the soil thirsts for water. This is not, this is not um, you know, normal Bay City, Michigan, where we can walk and see greenish grass. And I guess the river is, is dry, uh, you know, still waters. Um, this, is, this is a climate that's dry and arid, right? And so, so when we hear this, it kind of jumps off the page a little bit more. God is leading them to a place that is lush, that is well-watered, that is green and supports abundant life. God is leading to a place of still water, a place of green pastures. This, then, is what the believer can expect from the Lord. He is a good God. He is a loving shepherd, a wise shepherd that cares for his people. He gives them all they need in this life, to follow after him. He has given us life and breath and everything else. He has breathed out his word through the prophets and the apostles. He has given us his son so that we might know him and be adopted into his family. This is a God who provides, a God who knows what is good for his people. He leads them to a place of rest. And in that, we can take, as believers, great comfort. The world around us is dry and desolate. But with the Lord as our shepherd, we can be 
expect to be taken to a place of, of care, a place of repose and rest, because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I will rest in him. Furthermore, he says, he restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So let's, let's, let's walk through this portion um, kind of uh, clause by clause, uh, starting with he restoreth my soul. So um, in this context, this is probably not talking about regeneration of the soul, though that is true. Um, but more likely it is the restoration of himself from wandering. So, so think of the context and the imagery here. God, the Lord is my shepherd. I am a sheep, and the Lord restores me. He, he brings me back in. It, it fits nicely with this metaphor in this context. As the sheep are prone to wander, a, a sheep needs a shepherd to keep it from straying from the flock and from wandering off into danger. Um, likewise, the people of God often need God to shepherd them, to restore them, to bring them back. We, we sing loudly, right? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. This is, this, is, this is something that's common with all of God's people, with, with the Christian experience. We need God often daily, right, to bring us back to him. We just prayed a prayer of repentance. We pray that every Sunday. We are, as Christians, repenters, right? We continue to sin. We continue to be in need of God to restore us, to graciously uh, bring us back to a closeness with him. He restores our soul, and he leads us back to paths of righteousness. He restores peace between us and him. Uh, he reminds us, reminds us of his, his grace and his mercy, of his salvation, of the remission of our sin, of his love for us, of his mighty acts of salvation, of his powerful hand at work over all of it. And just as a shepherd guides the flock in ways that he thinks are best, God graciously restores our soul and leads us in his chosen way that he approves, paths of righteousness. Additionally, we need to see the reason behind this, right? He does this, why? He does this for his name's sake. God cares for the sheep. He loves them. He restores them. And he guides them into righteousness for the sake of his name. Right? This is not the only place in Scripture we see this. Um, Isaiah, speaking to Israel in their rebellion, records God saying this. Isaiah 48. You have heard. Now see all this, and you will not declare it? From the time forth I announce to you new things, hidden things that you have not known. They are created now, not long ago, before today you have never heard of them, lest you should say, Behold, I knew of them. You have never heard, you have never known. From of old your ear has not been opened. For I knew that you would surely deal treacherously, and that from before birth you would be called a rebel. Then he says, For my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do, not, I do it. For, for how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. 
God is a jealous God. He is jealous for his own glory. And this should not shock us. This this should be something that we celebrate. God is the glorious creator God. There is no one and no thing above him. For God to not be about the glory of his own name would be idolatrous, right? He is above everything else. Above all else, he is to be worshiped and he is to be adored. His holy name is to be above everything, above all mankind, and his name is not to be profane. He does what he does for the display of his own glory. God has called people to himself, and this is to show his own glory as he graciously and mercifully forgives and adopts sinners. Earlier in Isaiah 43, he says, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and I will not remember your sin. God does what he does for the sake of his names, and and for his name, and we are the ones that benefit. This is not a selfish God. This is a God who is to be worshipped and glorified above all else, and he is shown most glorious as men and women repent and turn from their sin and turn to him in faith. God leads us into righteousness for the sake of his name, And this is praiseworthy. The final way in which the Lord interacts with his people as a shepherd in this passage is in verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. In thy rod and thy staff they comfort me. The Lord is our protector. As a shepherd, he is with us, even in the darkest of times. The, the tools that he describes here, the shepherd tools, the rod and the staff, they are there for our benefit. The rod is there to protect us from danger. The, the, the staff, particularly the crook in the staff, is used to prop us up as, as sheep and steady us along through rough terrain or pull us from danger. Look, this life is full of difficulty. Right? This life is full of heartache, evil, despair. Life is hard. So, so whether it be minor difficulties at home or in relationships with family members or, or larger difficulties we see with, with illness even among our congregation or loss of employment or loss of friends or loved ones, life can be very hard. There, there is evil in this world. And uh, you know, even this week, right, or last week, we were again reminded of this with the, the school shooting in Florida and we see the tragic and senseless loss of life The world is evil and difficult. John Bunyan understood this well. Um, In his classic work, Pilgrim's Progress, uh, Bunyan wrote an allegory of a Christian as he's making his way through the Christian life, and he he describes this quite well. So a friend of mine gave me this book a few months ago, and and it was a great read. Um, Now, admittedly, this was my first time reading through it, so a couple of side notes. It is probably... Uh, a reprehensible thing that a congregationally governed church, a Baptist church, freely elected an elder who had never read through the Pilgrim's Progress. That is on all of you. Shame on you. Sharon, if you're looking for a reason to not vote for me, that would be it. Do some research next time, people. All right, secondly, more importantly, the care and attention that Bunyan places 
Uh, and each detail in this novel are very helpful. Each, each chapter is carefully and faithfully weaving scripture into it, into the plot, and it really helps to bring to life the truths of the Bible that uh, teach us um, in, in a way that's, that's intriguing and convicting. Um, anyway, Pilgrim, uh, the, the Pilgrim, Christian, is on the path to the celestial city, to heaven. He's making his way through life. He's going, experiencing different things. And he encounters, um, midway through his trek-ish, uh, the valley of the shadow of death. I want to I read a bit from this section because I think it really brings out the experience in this life as we go through this valley and then what God does for us when we are in the valley. All right, Bunyan says... Now this valley was a very solitary and lonely place. The prophet Jeremiah describes it as a wilderness, a land of deserts and pits, a land of drought and of the shadow of death, a land that no man except a Christian passes through and where no man dwells. Then I saw in my dream, this is Bunyan saying he saw in his dream, for the whole length of this valley on the right side there was a very deep ditch And this was the same ditch into which the blind have led the blind for ages, with the result that all have miserably perished. Similarly, on the left side, there was a very dangerous quagmire into which, even if a good man fell, he could not find a solid bottom for his feet to stand on. It was into this same quagmire that King David once fell, and doubtless he would have been smothered there had it not been for the deliverance of he who was able to pull him out of it. Now at this place, the way was extremely narrow, And for this reason, Christian was severely tested as he pressed on. When in the dark, he was careful to shun the ditch on the right-hand side, but he found himself in danger of stumbling into the quagmire on the left side. Moreover, when he attempted to escape the quagmire, unless he was very cautious, he would find himself on the brink of falling into the ditch. Yet Christian went on, and it was here that I heard him sigh ever so bitterly, The reason was that besides the dangers mentioned above, the pathway here was so dark that often when he lifted his foot to take a step forward, yet he did not know what he would find when he put it down. Now about in the middle of the valley, here I noticed the location of the very mouth of hell. In fact, it in fact being hard up against the narrow way. At the sight of this, Christian wondered what he should do since so much flame and smoke were belching forth, accompanied with sparks and hideous noises. These fearful eruptions seemed quite unruffled uh, concerning Christian's sword. It had been the case with Apollyon. So the trembling pilgrim found it necessary, necessary to resort to another weapon called all prayer. In using this, I was able to hear him cry out, O Lord, I implore you to deliver my soul. So Christian continued to pray in this manner for a long while. At the same time, he crept along the way. The flames of hell seemed to lick ever so close to him. He also heard doleful voices and rushes back and forth, so that sometimes he thought he would be torn in pieces or trodden underfoot like mire in the streets. While continuing to observe this frightful scene and hear such dreadful noises over the space of several miles, he came to a place he thought he also heard a company of fiends who were approaching to meet him. This caused the pilgrim to muse over what would be best for him to do. Sometimes he had a half mind to go back. The other hand, he wondered, maybe he was halfway through the valley. He also recalled how he had already vanquished so many dangers, and therefore he wondered if perils of going back might be greater than those he encountered going forward. So Christian decided to move ahead. 
Yet the fiends seemed to draw nearer and nearer. But when they seemed almost to be upon him, he cried out with such an impassioned cry, I will walk in the strength of the Lord. They drew back and ceased their approach. When Christian had traveled in this depressed condition for some considerable time, he then thought he heard the voice of a man on pilgrimage ahead of him saying, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. As a result, he felt very glad, and that for a few reasons. First, because he gathered from what he heard that someone who feared God were in this valley with him as well. Secondly, he understood that God himself was with them, even in such a dark and dismal place. Then he reasoned that this invisible presence ought also to be with him, in spite of the hindrance of such a region. And third, for the hope that he entertained of eventually having fellowship with a fellow Christian, should he be able to overtake those ahead of him. So he went on, and he called out to the man who was ahead, though he did not know what to say in reply, since he also had thought himself to be alone. Eventually, the light of morning dawned. At this, Christian exclaimed, He has turned the shadow of death into the morning. Friends, if the Lord is with us as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, as we walk through terrible, dark circumstances in this, in this life, we have something real and something stable to hold on to. If, if, if the Lord is our shepherd, he has promised to walk with us and abandon us even when we are experiencing dark, lonely nights, saying, I, I'm praying for you as you are going through something. That's, that's not empty words. God is with us. That is, that is what we must hold on to here. That is what David is holding on to in this passage. When it, when it seems that all is crushing in around us, when we have, we have someone who has experienced all of this, and has promised to love us and guide us through it. He will comfort you. He will hold you fast, as we just sang. He will protect you. He will never leave you. All right, so that, that leads to the important question in this passage. Is the Lord your shepherd? Everything is predicated on this truth. In the, in the, in the psalm, David says the Lord is my shepherd. It is personal. It is not a generic truth that God is the close, intimate shepherd of all of mankind. Uh, the things that he provides as a shepherd, the rest, the nourishment, the peace, the restoration, the guidance, the protection, the comfort, they are only available to those who are his sheep. This is something you can say accurately describes you. Are, are you among the people of God? Have you fully trusted and followed the shepherd? Are you holding back? Are you wandering off on your own? Are you trying to keep one foot in both camps, both sin and the holy? Are you giving lip service to the shepherd, but meanwhile continuing to wade through the ditch and the quagmire of sin as if it's compatible somehow with the Christian life? Now friends, can you honestly say with David here that the Lord is your shepherd? If, if this is true of you, you can rest assured these promises then pertain to you. This passage is comforting. Right? If this is not true of you, think of the implications. 
There is no rest. There is no spiritual nourishment. There is no peace. There is no guidance. There is no protection. Ultimately, there is nothing to save you and shelter you from the just wrath due you due to your sin. If you have broken God's law, and we have all broken God's law, and God is not your shepherd to take comfort in, there is nothing but punishment and fear to look forward to. Turn to him today. Repent of your sin. Trust in the shepherd today. I'm convinced, I'm convinced there are church members all over this country and all over the world that if they were truly honest would find themselves in this condition. I would be foolish to think that our church is any different. Turn to him before it is too late. The Lord is my shepherd. That is a glorious statement, but only if that rings true for you. If this is true of you, Christian, take comfort. The Lord is there for you. He will give you rest in this life and in the life to come. He will guide you and lead you into righteousness. He will provide for you and protect you. Believer, this psalm should give you great comfort. This is why it has been so powerful at funerals over the years. But, but look afresh today and take comfort in this shepherd, this God, and what he has for you now in this life. Uh, verses, verses one through four describe what it means for the Lord to be close and to be a personal shepherd to the people. He provides for their needs. He leads them to rest. He nourishes them. He gives them peace. He restores them. He guides them into righteousness. He protects them in their most dire time of need. He is a shepherd, and he is a shepherd in these ways. In verse 5, then, David moves on from shepherding imagery, and he moves on into the, to, to like blessing language. So here, number 2, verse 5, we see that God blesses his people. God blesses his people. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Here we see a beautiful picture of God pouring out his blessing on his people. He has prepared a banquet table for them. This is not merely providing them with bare minimum sustenance, a bread and water. This is, this is the imagery of a feast prepared for an honored guest. And, and, and in doing this, uh, he is doing it in the presence of David's enemies. He's doing it with, uh, in spite of them, with their, with their full knowledge. God is setting his particular blessing upon a chosen and loved people. Uh, uh, David's description here, no doubt, conjures up probably what he went through in his own life, right? David went from being poor, uh, a poor Israelite from the tribe of Judah uh, to, to rising after, um, you know, destroying Goliath uh, to a place of prominence and fame, feasting at the king's table uh, in the court of Saul. He was, he was present in the king's court, enjoying the spoils of the king's table, um, though he himself was not royalty, at least not yet, um, he was treated with warmth and hospitality to a king. This is what we can expect as the people of God. Though we do not deserve it, and though we did not earn it, in spite of ourselves, God treats us with blessing above and beyond. He gives us himself. We receive God himself. He anoints our head with oil. Right? In the Old Testament, washing and anointing with oil were common on uh, glad and joyous occasions. Psalm 45, it says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. You have loved the righteous and hated the wicked. Therefore, God, 
your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Anointing with oil is signifying gladness and blessing. And and additionally, many commentators point to the anointing of oil here as foreshadowing of God pouring out his spirit on his people. Think of that. God has given you his spirit, living inside you, guiding you, comforting you. We have been blessed far more than we deserve. And this should drive us to a, a lifetime of gratitude and service to him. God has provided abundant happiness. God has shepherded his people. God has blessed his people. And this blessing continues on from this life in, into the next. So finally, God has promised to dwell with his people. God dwells with his people. Verse 6 says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, we can count on goodness and mercy from our gracious God because we can rely on God's faithful promises. He is our shepherd who cares for us and provides for us, who guides us and protects us. He is our king who blesses us beyond all of our comprehension. And he is our God who promises to dwell with us for all eternity. God has promised this in his word. And his word has proven to be solid. It has proven to be unshakable. God always keeps his promises. And for the people of God, this is a very, very good thing. We not only dwell um, with him now as the spirit dwells within us, but we will be in his presence forever. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Look, the Lord will return. He will make everything new. He is our shepherd. He is our king. He is our God. And one day, we will be in his presence away from the hardship of this life. For those who can truly and honestly say that the Lord is their shepherd, this is a place of rest and peace and blessing and inheritance. It is guaranteed. God will be with his people forever. As we rest on the promise then from Psalm 23, as we rest on the promise from the book of Revelation, we are reminded how God made this possible. How is it then that sinful mankind can be at peace with God? How is it David can say these things? How is this true? In Ezekiel 34, God describes just what he will do to accomplish this as our shepherd. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep, and I will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on the day of clouds and thick darkness. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land, and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel." by the ravines and all the inhabited places of the country. 
I will feed them with good pasture. And on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. They shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture. They shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them justice. I will rescue my flock, and they shall no longer be prey. And I will judge between sheep and sheep, and I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. Church, God promises to care for the flock himself. Even as the leaders of Israel failed in their task of shepherding the people, God has promised to set this right. He said he would do this as a shepherd. He would do this condescending to us. This Prophecy, of course, was fulfilled in the work and person of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. Jesus the good shepherd, fulfills all that David chronicled in Psalm 23. Because of Jesus Christ, we do not want. Because of Jesus, we rest in green pastures and beside still waters. Because of Jesus, our soul is restored and we are sanctified in righteousness. Because of Jesus, we are comforted in our afflictions and in our hardships. Because of Jesus, we are protected for and provided for given everything we need in this life for godliness. Because of Jesus, we are experiencing the blessing, the outpouring of God. Because of Jesus, we have abundant happiness. And because of our Lord Jesus, we have goodness and mercy bestowed on us all of our days. And Christian, because of Jesus, you have eternal life. You will dwell with the Lord as your promised inheritance. Because the Lord Jesus Christ is the good shepherd, we can truly say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Let us go to him in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you we are not left to wander on our own. Lord, we uh, would continue to fail miserably, but because you are our good shepherd, because you have blessed us, because you have protected us, provided for us, because you have corrected us, because you have restored us. Because of you, Lord, we have abundant life. So we praise you. We thank you this morning. Father, we ask that you help us this day to uh, dwell on these things, that we are reminded once again that you have given us everything in this life, and we owe all of our life uh, as an act of worship to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.